Okay. How you doing? Uh, you guys got to be better than that. You get tomorrow off, most, some, many of you. You good? Are you? All right. I'm just checking. you. Huh? Okay, you are? I believe you, Jenny. So, okay. Um, today, we are going to talk about, um, it's kind of actually interesting how this comes about. You, uh, the, we're going to talk about baptism um, but we're all, as a frequently asked question, what is um, baptism and why is it important? Um, there are so many things that go on when we think of this topic, um, but I think it's a, a good way to start. How I want to start is by just sharing one of the verses, um, a verse from uh, Matthew chapter 3, um, and it's about the baptism of Jesus. And we have, a, it's a real small account here. From Matthew chapter 3, I'll begin in the 13th verse, just going to get us into this mentality. Um, and uh, I just want, to, want you to keep it there. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John was trying to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And then as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove um, and lighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Now, we have that a lot. But uh, today... um, if, we, if I go ahead further and I go to Matthew chapter 28, we have Jesus who has had, the, after this designation, this is my son whom I love, whom I'm pleased. All of a sudden we have this, him thrown out into the wilderness, tests, come back, ends up healing people, taking some other people off, ends up being uh, captured, suffered, crucified, dead, arose. Okay, you with me? Now after he, after he arises from the dead, he goes and spends some time with his disciples. And in that period of time, he, he says he teaches them many things. And we have an account of the last things that he said. And in there, in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, we have this account of something that Jesus says. And he says this. Now, think about this. You've spent all this time, several years, talking to them, sharing with them. They've seen miraculous, amazing things. Am I right? The last thing that somebody says going to be pretty, pretty important. Am I right? Am I right? So here's what Jesus says, and it's right up here. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, doing what to them? Baptizing. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is his last instruction. It's interesting he didn't say, hey, right here I want you to stay put and build a building. Right here, I want you to stay here and have a committee meeting. Right here, I want you to go ahead and after I go up, I want you to sing some songs. All those are important, but Jesus is very specific in what he says. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says, go, be a light. 365 days a year, be a disciple and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let's talk about baptism here today. As I said, you have... One of the things cool about, that's really cool about Haven 
is that we have people from all different kinds of backgrounds. All different kinds of church backgrounds or all different kinds of non-church backgrounds. And it, it, it makes it really interesting because we're not caught into a doctrine. We're not bound by it. But we also get to discuss it and figure some things out. And so here's what's really cool. I would dare say, and here's how we're going to do this. We're going to do it like, you know, when they go to a rock concert. And, you know, if, if the rock concert's really bad or if it's a comedian and it's really bad, all he has to do is yell out the town. You know what I mean? Like, hey, Boston, woo! Yeah, everybody's away. So when I yell out a background that you've been associated with, I want you to, woo! Okay, you ready? You could have been associated with a little bit in your life. Are you ready? In this church, we have people from a Baptist background. Okay, there we go. Baptist did pretty good. Here we go. We've got people from a Catholic background. Ah, Catholics giving the Baptist some trouble, like usual. All right. Um, here we go. Pentecostal. All right. Yeah. Now, see, now see, you expect Pentecostal to go, woo! Right? Let's try that again. Pentecostal. There we go. That's a little bit better. Here we go. All right. Nazarene. Where'd Stephen go? That's about right for the Nazarenes. There we go. No, just joking. <laughs> so, um, Methodist. Okay, all right. Lutherans. No Lutherans? Okay, he's out here. Maybe a partial, a partial Lutheran? Okay, here we go. Um, anything else? Okay, you know, you know. Um, but we all have, if I go ahead in each of those denominations, each of those areas, if I talk about baptism, we immediately know, or maybe not, immediately there's a weight with that, how we have that predetermined by our denominational grow up. Am I right? So what I want to do is I want to start a fight between all of you. No, I, what I want to do today is I want to give you the opportunity to just see, let's put all that aside and let's see what the scripture says. Is that cool? So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to see what the word of God says. And as I said, um, it, it starts with Matthew 3, 3, where Jesus comes to John the Baptist, as I just read. Can you imagine this? John has been teaching and saying, hey, there's this person coming, and he's going to change everything, and I'm not even worried to scrape the gum off his shoe. He is just awesome. He's fantastic. And then all of a sudden, boom, here he comes. And John says, whoa, there's the Lamb of God that takes the sin away from the world. And he comes up and says, baptize me. And John's saying, no, 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 no. And he says, you baptize me. He said, no, you baptize me. I said, shut up, I'm Jesus. You baptize me. You know, this is what's going on between them. I need to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. I got to make it right. And you know, John had one message. John the Baptist had one message. And many people think most pastors do. But his one message was repent, 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 repent. Constantly. And here we have this point where he come, here comes Jesus and he's here. And so John baptizing them. So what does baptism mean? I think it's a good day to talk about baptism. Because the theme of Memorial Day is, it's printed on the front of your bulletin, is what? Remember. Remember. And one of the key things about baptism, so I'm going to ask this question, what is baptism? What does it mean? And that's right there on your bulletin today. The first thing we want to talk about is it means to remember. Because when we 
have baptism, it causes us to remember what God did for us in Christ. And for those of us who have been baptized in our life, and we're going to talk about this more, it helps us bring us back to square one to say, oh yeah, that's why I'm a Christian, because of what Christ did for me. And so we're going to look at this. In order to do this, we've got to look at the original word. And you're going to say this along with me. It's baptizo. Everybody say that with me. Baptizo. Let's do it again. You've got to say, give it a little Italian to it. Baptizo. Here we go. There you go. That's good. Even though it's a Greek word, it works. Um, baptizo is a very common word in the time of Jesus. And it means several things. One thing is that it, it, uh, it means, and I have this printed on your sheet, baptizo means to wash, and to dip, to immerse, to plunge. And here you go, Teresa. Submerge. You're right. It is there. We have this joke um, between the difference of submerging, because submerging technically you drop them down and leave them there, and immersing you push them down and pull them back up. So, so I promise I will not submerge anybody in baptism for long. Um, but we have this joke that goes back and forth. So uh, the word was extremely common in Jesus' time. A matter of fact, there was a guy named uh, 200 years before Jesus, 200 years B.C., that actually he is known for his pickles. And his name was Macander. And Macander, it is written down that he found a great recipe for pickles, and it's written that he said, you take a cucumber and you baptizo it in vinegar. And that's how you get a good, a good pickle. So what is, who is John the Baptist? No, that, that was not his denomination. Um, John is known as John the Washer, or John the Dipper, or John the Immerser, or the Submerser. He was the Washer, or if you're from other parts of the state, Washer. Okay? That's who John is. And John the Baptist did that in order to go ahead and to do this important thing. Now, next week, many of you will be baptized. And after today, I hope many others will want to be. You're going to go and you're going to go ahead and want to literally take the plunge or take the baptizo. I, I was, when that weather was out today, I was like, oh, thank you. That, it wasn't yesterday's weather with that wind and cold. But I would have got in anyway. I got in for a marine a couple weeks ago. So let's look at First Peter. I have it printed in your bulletin. And it's also going to be up here. What does First Peter say about baptism? Our disciple Bible study went through some of this this week. And it says, and it's printed up here, To those who were disobedient long ago, God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that, is, that saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience to God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now let's look at this. What, what does baptism mean? What does this tell us about baptism? Well, the first thing is, Baptism is about creation. Last week, I, in talking about the Holy Spirit, we were talking about how the Spirit of God hovered across the what? The waters. And put everything together. So from the point of creation, we recognize that water and spirit are involved. And it's a theme that continues all the way through the Scripture. Born of water 
and of spirit. There's this kind of nature. So we recognize creation. The interesting thing about that in Genesis 1 is that the spirit hovered over the waters, but it also reminds us of the recreation, the new creation that Christ creates in us through baptism. What we find out in creation is that God is active in the world. God is not a God who set things in motion, kicked back and said, enjoy. But God is constantly working throughout our world. God, and one of the things that we recognize through creation is that you and I are made in a special manner. You and I are made in the image of God. And that means we have this tremendous worth. So even though we're born into sin, we're not really our own nature until we come to relationship to God through Christ. And therefore, that is a period of recreation. Scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And we're going to talk about that in a second. So let's take a look at some, some other things. The image of God makes us focus on God and also to give up our self-centeredness and self-focus. Second thing is, baptism is about deliverance. And for this, the, Peter tells us exactly where we need to go. We need to go to Noah. Now, it's really kind of cool. I've always found this to be one of these interesting things in life. We, and and he, if you have a nursery like this, don't beat me up. But I always think this is really cool, how we take nurseries and we paint Noah's Ark on it. You notice that? But little, everybody's happy. Hey, now, I don't know about you, but if I'm on a boat with my family and a bunch of animals... For 40 days, I'm going to want to kill somebody. You know what I mean? I'm going to be building a, a boat out of something to get out there. Um, anybody with me? Okay. It would not be, hey, woo, you know, like this. I would be like, no, no wonder Noah had a party when he got off the boat. You know, thank God I'm away from those people and animals, right? Um, and, but one of the things about Noah that we find out is it's about deliverance. Because even though there was that many, eight that were saved on the ark with all the animals, everybody else was killed. And so we, there's a lot of destruction. There was a deliverance that was done by God through water and through obedience with Noah. And we forget that when we see, play with the little things. Cool, I used to have like a little video game that was Noah and he'd have to run and collect all the animals. It was pretty fun. Um, and, and I enjoyed that. But meanwhile, when the waters came, it says people were banging on the on the boat to get in, but they couldn't open it. They were delivered by God through this situation. Another sign of deliverance comes from the Exodus, where they're in the middle of a desert where there's no water. And uh, I think last summer or the summer before, I did a whole series on, on the book of Exodus and the journey. Some of you might remember that. And when they got to Mount Sinai, and as you know, all the way through the journey, the Israelites were great complainers. They, they're hungry, and then all of a sudden God provides us bread from heaven, and they get tired of eating the bread from heaven and say, oh, can we get something else? So God provides quail, and they say, oh, we're so tired of this. Can we have a smorgasbord? And God's like, I cannot give you nothing. You know, um, have you seen the price of bread lately? How many do you like bread from heaven? Like a big loaf laying out there, and you say, ooh, that's cool. It's expensive now. So we have this situation. Moses comes to the rock Ahorab, or Mount Sinai. And they're thirsty. And this is an area of less than two inches of rainfall a year. Moses prays, strikes the rock. All of a sudden, water flows from it. It's another area about how God provides that there's provision, but there's also deliverance in the midst of suffering. So we have Moses. We have Noah. 
that display his situation. Or we can go to the New Testament where Jesus finds a woman at the well who is not a nice woman. She wouldn't be one that you want to bring home to mom. And she's spending time hanging out at the well. And Jesus promises her, he says, hey, I'll give you living water. I'm going to give you something that's going to keep you sustained for life. So we have that deliverance and sustenance. Next thing is, baptism is about covenant. Basically, you and God sign on with each other. It's more than a contract. In the Old Testament, when men used to make contracts, they used to put their hands on the inside of the thigh, meaning life for life, generation for generation. This will be binding for eternity. And God made several different covenants in the Old Testament, and Jesus making the new covenant. But it's a sign of covenant. What is in the, what's in the air with, uh, in the sky when Noah? What was the sign of the covenant? A rainbow. There's a, lot of different, there's a lot of different signs. Baptism also is a sign of the covenant that we have with Christ. If you go to Abraham's covenant, it is what? Circumcision. Aren't you glad that's not something for Christianity right now? If you go to Noah, you have the rainbow. And, excuse me, I'm going to sneeze. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> that gets everybody to pray. One more tri- trifecta. Um, but there is a sign of a covenant that when you made a covenant with somebody, you also had a symbol of that covenant that went with you. And God doesn't change that. Baptism is part of that for us. But probably one of the most important areas of baptism that is dismissed because of our understanding or lack of understanding is baptism is a communal act. It is an act that is done with others and is key to the church. It belongs to the church. There is no other organization that can baptize people but the church. It initiates and incorporates people into the church. And what it does, it remembers that all in the church are to remember your baptism if you've been baptized previously and to challenge you to renew your commitments to Christ. And it's a reminder about how God graciously has saved us. So this brings the big question. Who should be baptized. You see, baptism calls us into unity. And we look at who should be baptized. There are a billion different opinions on these, but I'm going to share with you. And here's where we get into your your areas, right? Here's where we get into our our, uh, philosophical, theological differences. I think this one everybody will believe in. Who is to be baptized? The committed believer. The committed believer. I want to read from you a section from Acts chapter 8. And it's about Philip and a guy, an Ethiopian. Philip is going along down the road. He hears a guy and he starts talking to him. He's a wealthy guy. And he's reading scripture, but he doesn't understand it. Philip says, how do you, un- do you understand what you're reading? He says, not unless somebody explains it to me. So Philip begins to show him how all that points to Christ. And The eunuch was reading the passage. They continued on. And the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with the very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? 
And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. That, now, I'm not planning on doing that next week. But if I disappear, I hope it's to a nice island. Okay? Um, but can you imagine that? You met somebody. You're reading something you don't understand. He, can, he goes through the scripture and convinces him and shares with him. This is about who Christ is. He has a change in his heart and his life. And he says, whoa, there's water. It could have been a mud puddle for all I know. But he's so excited and so on fire now about what God is doing in his life through Christ. And he's got, he's got it. Light bulb. Boom. And he says, stop the chariot. Let's go get baptized. Boom. They go in the water comes up, he's alone, and he doesn't go, where'd he go? He goes, woo, thank you, God, and he goes back, and many people believe that this is in the scripture because there is a Coptic Ethiopian church that grew dramatically in the centuries following this, and many people believe that it was because he was reading and because Philip was available that he was so committed, he not only went back to Ethiopia, but he shared the good news of Jesus Christ with everybody else. Now, here's the problem with the nature of commitment. Who is the judge of commitment? Am I right? Who is it? Is it your parents? Is it your spouse? Is it the pastor? Is it the Sunday school teacher? Is it a voice from the past that tell, told you when you were younger you had to do certain things, and if you don't do them, you're in trouble, and you're afraid they're going to come back and haunt you or something, right? Who is it that does that? Well, there are several different terms that we can use for committed, but ultimately, I believe the best way to say that we're committed, particularly when it comes to baptism, when it comes to the church, is about community. That's what this whole thing is about. Community and fellowship in Christ Jesus and with each other. And so, commitment actually equals community. I've heard people say before, I can be a committed Christian without church, and sadly, I hate to tell you, that is not true. You cannot be a committed Christian without a body of Christ to be part of. Paul, the Apostle Paul is very clear about saying there are many parts in the body. Now, I want to ask you a question. If you cut off your arm for the day and laid it alongside, when you come back to it, how is that? Apart from it, it is nothing. And that's what Paul said. You, in order to be a committed believer, we must be part of a community of believers, the church. And so, this is a topic every generation deals with. Commitment to the community of Christ. How do we make commitment? For some, it was that everybody had to go through certain things and be uh, in certain natures. But what I believe, it's where we enter to a point where we are committed to to know Christ, grow in his family, serve Christ in the community and the larger world, know, grow, serve, and share, share Jesus Christ. I believe that's 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 our mission here at Haven, to know, grow, serve, and share. And what I believe in that is that's so important because if I know Christ, I'm going to want to please him and live my life for him, if I truly know him. If If I... begin to grow. I may just know a little bit about Christ, that he's my Savior and Lord, and I want to grow and know even more. So I want to grow in Christ, and, and I can tell you, as I have grown in Christ, it has changed my behavior and the way I am in many areas and who I reach out to. Anybody with me? 
And so I grow in Christ. That's part of my fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. And then, then through that, I began to want to serve Christ. When I've got something else to do on a Sunday night, I, I want to go to the Paris Foundation in hell. When I see somebody who's on the road with a sign, instead of me always saying, I know that they're just rot- ripping me off, I want to go ahead and just feed them for that day and say, so what, they need food. When I see somebody who's a soldier, that, as Becky reminded us, that did come back, not to just walk by them, but to maybe just pay for their meal because they paid an ultimate cost for you and me. Sometimes, even worse than death, mental, mental stress. Okay? That when, I, when, I, when I'm standing in the middle of a restaurant at, that's crowded, that I just go ahead and, and I go ahead and give God thanks. That I'm like the, the teachers who, the one teacher in Oklahoma said, she had all the kids huddled underneath her and she did what a teacher, did you hear what she said? What a teacher should not do. She prayed out to God and asked for protection. And then there was another teacher who just shouted and took authority and said, in the name of, in the name of Jesus, go away. All right? And they were all saved in that area. This is where we begin to grow and we begin to serve Christ more and more in our lives. And share. I'd say this is the biggest challenge to the American church today. Because we, we can share anything else we want to. We can talk about anything else we want to. But somehow we've gotten to a point where we, we don't, we're, we're not as bold in sharing our faith as we should be. Do you agree with me? Anybody agree with me? And I don't mean hit people over the head with an 85-pound Bible. I mean just sharing Jesus. Next week, I'm going to talk about why do, how would a loving God, why does a loving God allow suffering? And there's a lot of it out there. I guarantee you many of you are going through some of that and have gone through some of that. We are going to talk about suffering. And I've got some really cool things planned next week. I'm going to have a video clip from somebody who's in the midst of suffering. I'm going to have a, a group come and share with us um, something special at the end of the service. So we're going we're to unpack suffering in a way. I dare say, every one of us, if I went around and asked you to write down one thing that you've suffered about in the last year, you, could, you would struggle which one to sort through. But when we know, grow, and serve, and share Christ, there are people who are suffering, and when they hear the good news of Jesus Christ, it helps change their lives. So... We need to let go and trust God and others. So, that is the committed believer. We're all good there. Look at what the verse of Scripture says right there. As we we read that, and it says, The eunuch said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he wanted to be baptized. Here's the next one. You ready for it? Here comes Controversy 101. Ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Come on, ready? Okay, there we go. The children of the committed. Baptists want to beat me up now, all right? Why do I say this? Historically in the church, over the years, children were incorporated into baptism. In the Anabaptist faith, which later became the Baptist faith, it was not. Others have added different things. We joke as we do both things here. That's because people come from different realms. Um, We call it... uh, Baptism and dry cleaning. Okay, so, but they both come from the same nature. But I want to explain to you reasons why that's okay in this realm. And I also want to share some other things. Number one, 
um, we're dealing with an issue here. And this issue is one over um, whether we baptize children or not. Um, and, in, and what I want to share with you, there's a number of different verses. Um, I put one in your bulletin, uh, one that shares several times this kind of verse. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, uh, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded them. Several times within the scripture, in um, Acts eleven fourteen, Acts sixteen fifteen, Acts 18, 8, and 1 Corinthians 1, 16, it talks about the whole household being baptized. Now, the assumption for many is that there was probably some kids around. All right, But that is often not the rock of authority. But one of the things that it does, that we do look at, is that what we're dealing with here is an issue of exclusive versus inclusive baptism. That's been coined in Christian theology. And as we look at this, the exclusive baptism is one that we call believer's baptism. Anybody ever heard of that? What this means is that, and that's the one we first talked about, the committed Christian, that I believe, Jesus, you are who you say you are. And I want to be baptized as a sign of that commitment. Okay? Right? We know that one. So that's the, uh, what we call the exclusive because there's a, you have to be, many people attach to that, ages and ranges. And what we find out is there are some strengths to that. It deals with a personal commitment and that individual can connect to Christ in a powerful way as an outgrow of their spirit. But there are some weaknesses because it's, not, it's often seen as I am going to be baptized rather than God's grace baptizing me. You notice the difference there? That it's an act of God's grace, not one of our own doing. So that's some of those. The other one is inclusive. That's where we incorporate children and cr- the term christening. And it has some strengths as well. It is... It, hammers home that it is nothing that that child does, but it is all about God's grace. Okay? And so it's divinely initiated. It's all embracing. But the weakness is that many people view it as a mystical salvation, that it may also be a way to get our ticket punched, and then we're good for heaven. Or it may just be considered a rite of passage for a baby, like getting your hair cut, first haircut, first food, first steps. You with me? And so we, in each of these areas, we, in the extremes that we exist in, we run into problems. It's really interesting, um, the thoughts behind this, because in each of these, it is a beginning. I have chuckled, I've laughed several times. When I've had couples call me and want to get their child christened or baptized or whatever, they will say to me, I want to get my kid done. And one time I did it. I said, is that medium well or rare? And they're like, huh? That statement, however, reveals to us what their theology is on baptism, doesn't it? That I'm getting them, boom, ticket punch, they're good. But baptism, even in the liturgy for infants, is this. That Christ, you gave them to this family. That they, as their parents, will raise this child in Christ's church. That by their teaching and their example, that child may accept God's grace for themselves. 
Then I spin it around on the church because it's a communal act. And I say, it's your job to provide an environment where they can nurture this child in the faith. Now, the Baptists dry clean, which means they make that same commitment, but just don't use water. Because they were taught believer's baptism. I'm fine with both of those. And the theology please may shoot me. But it's about God's grace, not about my liturgy and my theology. Right? It's about what the Apostle Paul says, becoming all things to all people for the sake of the gospel without being heretical. And each believer's baptism and infant baptism is in the scripture. So let's unpack this a little bit more. It is about God's grace. So I'm going to give you three things very quickly. I want to ask you, provenient grace. There's your term today. I went through this, disciple, we went through this the other night. Provenient grace. How many, there's one grace from God, but it's experienced three ways. Now, provenient is a term that we use every day, I know. Um, but it comes from the term pray, which means P-R-A-E, which means before, veneer, to come. Before, to come. Let me ask you a question. Say you, and I did this with disciple the other night. Say you invited me to your house for dinner. Anybody want to invite me to your house for dinner? Okay, there's a couple. Uh, come on, some more. All right. Now, you invite me over to your house for dinner. I'm not feeling well. And I'm like, I got a burp. Pick me up, burpy. So you struggle over and hoof me over your shoulder, and I get, and I throw up all over your back. You go, oh, you just may not be feeling well, Jack. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, I'm I'm not. They say, well, go ahead and lay down in the guest room. You can go ahead. We've got it in there. And so when I'm in there, uh, it's dark, and I start going. Ah, come get me! Ah, hey, hey, all night, middle night. Ah. You come in, you go. What's the problem? Say, oh, ah. Pick me up. Go back to sleep. So you you go in. And I say, ah, I start screaming again. Ah. You're like, what? I messed myself. Change me. How often are you going to invite me back? But guess what? I just lost a lot of invitations to dinner. Um, but guess what? Our babies do that every day of life because they are cute little bundles of complete selfishness, aren't they? And all that stuff I described to you, they do to us and worse. Don't they? I still remember Jacob was just like a little thing. And I remember I was like dead asleep and I'm changing his diaper. And Melissa had had an infection, uterine infection. So she was like in pain. And I had like... I. Put the desitin, that white stuff, that cream that you rub on and it keeps going and it keeps rubbing in and it gets worse. And I was putting that, I went to put that on his rear end, but I um, forgot and didn't have the diaper. So then I, I went and got it. And when I went to put the desitin in, it was gone. And I looked and it's in his mouth. And I'm like, ah! And Melissa jumps up and we're like, eh, you know, taking stuff, cleaning it out, calling poison control. He's all right. It's not poisonous. I wouldn't eat it, but it's not. It's... You know, if... None of us would do that. But the fact is, we love that those children when they do that and more to us every day of life. My family was in, we had children in diapers for 10 years. I bribed the last one with a racetrack. True, isn't that true? I bribed them with a racetrack. And I would show them every day the videos on, on the, you know, this will be yours. Get rid of that diaper. This is yours. Behind door number one, we have, you know, I mean, he'd sit on the, if I take him in the bathroom, I'd be like, let's see, you get this. 
you know. And I bought it for him. It was a wonderful thing. No diapers. I was like, hallelujah. We love our children not because of what they do, but because of whose they are, ours. And why do we believe that we have to have a response from our child for us to love them? And that's why we infant baptize. Because guess what? Every single one of us has done everything. Nothing. We're born into the sin and we don't deserve the love from the Father. But because we're His, He loves us. And so that's the prevenient grace. It goes before I can make a decision. Whether you do it dry cleaning through a, a, a dedication or whether you do it through a christening or whatever you want to call it, it's awesome. It's just affirming God loves His children. The second thing occurs, this is where we get in, the second part of God's grace occurs when we begin to understand what it means to accept Christ. When we say, Jesus, I'm a Savior, I need one, you're it. That is justifying, just as if I'd never sinned. It's that point where we accept Jesus Christ. And so we want to experience that maybe through believer's baptism. And then from that point on, the rest of our life, we're experiencing sanctifying or becoming more like Christ, growing in Christ the rest of our life. Sanctus, the term for holy. So who should be baptized? Those people. And, and, but the one thing about infant baptism, it is always done in a community of faith, of committed people for Christ Jesus. Okay? Because we have to take the cognitive area for that. Okay, everybody good? We'll be, uh-huh. Okay. I thought you said nope. I, was gonna, I thought we had like uh, a battle royal between some people, but that's okay. So as we approach next week, and we've understood this. I know this is more head knowledge than heart knowledge this week. I want to share with you what is the spiritual power that will occur in baptism next week. There are three things, and we'll close out today's service with this today. The first thing is, in baptism, you are publicly standing out or making a public declaration for standing with Christ. That's what you're doing. Now, Look at this verse of scripture that says there, you are all sons of God through faith in in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, having clothed yourself with Christ. Now, clothes mean something. Um, For instance, I, um, you can tell a lot about clothes that I wear. Right here? What team do I like? Mountaineers, West Virginia, right? That's, I wear that when they play on TV. I wear it. I'm like, I'm still, still like a little kid. I wear it. Um, so I have them. Let's see what else we have in here. We have, uh, here we go. There we go. The Eagles. Right here. Hey, there we go. Right, Chris? There we go. Chris knows. I wear, the, I put that on, and there's been a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth with that one. Um, equally as horrible. Sixers basketball. Um, see a theme going on here, right? So, as you've seen these jerseys, you know I can really talk about suffering. Um, uh, these Philadelphia teams. But the scriptures, you know, what we wear displays who we like. There's a couple of designers and people that I like. Right? Oh, I love Superman. I Last year, when it was... Uh, People were going trick-or-treating. I went ahead and put on a Superman costume and ran through Rising Sun. Just because I said, hey, I can do it. Right? Um, I li- but I like, I like clothing designers. I think Michael Kors is cool. I love his clothing. I think it's awesome. I don't know why. I just like it. And they sell it at Marshalls. Isn't that cool? 
this out. Um, there's certain things I just like. Some of you like certain clothes, certain shoes, certain ways. You wear those things. I see Air Apostle on your shirt. I see all kinds of things. I see Joe works for FedEx and likes FedEx, right? So we have these things. Our clothes tell us a lot about people. Dave's got Ocean City, Maryland on there. He probably wishes he was there right now, right? Nice and sunny. There we go. And we, our clothes tell us a lot about who we are. So we also recognize that through baptism, we are publicly making a profession that I am going to stand with Christ. Just as when I wear a jersey at an Eagles game, you tell me, I know who I'm standing with. By what I wear and what I say and what I do and what I have clothed on me, you know what is important to me. And so Jesus was at the Jordan River. The Jordan was the source of water for them, fresh water for Israel. People hung out there. So one of the things, those of you who are being baptized next week, I want you to tell everybody. I want you to go say, hey, you got to come. I saw one person who said a couple weeks ago after they signed up, they wrote on Facebook, yes, it is true. I am going to be baptized. I'd love for you to come out. That's what I want you to do. Because you're making a public profession of faith. I am now for the rest of my life. That old stuff is gone. I am standing with Jesus. And that's why, one of the reasons why baptism is done in community. And one of the shirts that you'll get right here has this. And on the back it says, wash clean. And on the bottom it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old one, um, the old is gone. The new is here from 2 Corinthians. Because you are clothed with Christ. Isn't that awesome? And that's what it, that's what it means. So that's the first thing. You can look at what it says in Matthew chapter 10. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before him, before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me, I will disown him. Number two, in baptism, you are baptized into, and here's the demented one, Christ's death. That seems weird. Doesn't it seem weird to you? Look at what it says in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4a. It's written in your bulletin. And it says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. It's kind of an odd deal, but I, uh, Sam Houston, way back when, Sam Houston, from what Houston's name for. Sam Houston was baptized, and it's a really interesting story. The pastor said, Sam, after he came up out of the water, he said, Sam, your sins are washed away. And Sam Houston said, God help the fish. (laughs) Right? Think about all the sins that Jesus has walked away. One of the interesting things that we find out about baptizo, it it also means die. And if you've ever gotten die on something, it changes the look of it completely. Am I right? And that's what's happening with you. That you die to that old self. And when you come up, it is God, uh, you, the, there's a promise of, of new life that occurs as well. Look at what else it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 7 through 10. Think about this. You are buried in a watery grave as a symbol. And I know many of you have lived a bad life. I joked with Nicole when she reaffirmed her baptism. I told her, as bad as you are, I've got to push you deeper. And she will tell you, uh, just to mess with her, when I pushed her down, she tried to come up, I shoved her down a little bit more. We're going to have to do it again, right? now. But... So, I mean, we can have fun with that, but recognize that it's about Christ, it's not about us. And so, but it's all a symbol of dying to self. 
We are no longer a, sin, a slave to sin and death. Look at this from Romans chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. At the end of that. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we are no longer slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. If I granted you a pardon and you were on death row, wouldn't you want to accept it and have a new life? That's what happens in this section here. Death has no hold on us, and we get to remember that it was Christ who did this. But the next section, in the last one, you are raised to new life. We have the promise of the new life that through this act, the Holy Spirit meets us and begins to do something incredibly new in our lives as we're raised to, to new life in Christ. First Peter 1.3 tells us that we are raised to new life. And in Romans 6, 4b, which is a continuation of that one up top, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a what? New life. Many of us have probably had those conversations over the years. If I could do high school again, or if I could do this again, man, it would be completely different. But through Christ, we have an opportunity to relive this over again. The promise is that he's going to die us, D-Y-E, and we are going to no longer be the same. That God will be with us and beside us and will stick with us. The church is involved with that. Next week after church, when we go down there, I'd love for everybody that can come down to come down and celebrate down at uh, Northeast Park. The main thing is that we know that whether it is life or death, we are the Lord's. And that it's a symbol of, that. We're, guess what? We're all going to die. Every single one of us. Even Lazarus, who was resuscitated, died again sometime. But guess what? When I die and when this body gives up, I know who I belong to. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, and I am his child. Martin Luther reminded us that baptism is a dress rehearsal for death. And what Luther also reminded us about the act of baptism is not about us. He said the sinner does not so much need to be washed as he needs to die in order to be wholly renewed and made another creature with whom through baptism he dies and rises again. Just real quick, how many of you are planning on the baptismal service next week? Anybody here that are planning on doing that? And if you've been baptized before, we can reaffirm your baptism by dunking in the water. That's cool. All right? It's about your commitment and your connection with Christ Jesus. Please go ahead and sign up today. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up today. They're going to lead us in a song. And, and next week, next week we're gonna, I know we did some cerebral stuff the last two weeks. Next week we're going to get back into the heart. We're going to get really into the heart of God and we're going to talk about suffering. And I'm, I'm telling you, it's one you don't want to miss next week, okay? Um, all right, so uh, please stand where you are. And I'm just going to ask that if, you're, if you feel a tug of God on your heart, I also just get the feeling that, that, you know, we may not just be totally where we are. We may be struggling with, am I a committed Christian? If you love the Lord your God and you got mess in your life, welcome to the rest of us. But if you just want to grow in Him and you want Him to do something new in your life, what a great way to come to the altar, get that right, and the next week we can uh, have a baptism and just celebrate God's goodness in our lives. Bow with me for prayer. Lord God, we thank you for who you are. We, we want to remember your great acts in Jesus Christ. But we also remember, and we've mentioned those who are suffering the ultimate cost and those who are still around us today that are, that are fighting for our freedom and our freedom in you. So Lord God, be with us during this time. If there's somebody here who's just never committed their lives to you and they say, you know, I've heard about Jesus, but I really don't know him. 
God, let's use that time to do that. Let's just go ahead and as a song was focused earlier, your great name, let's just open up our lives and our hearts to receive what you have for us. For you're God and we're not, but we love you and we are excited about what you're doing in our lives and in the lives of this area. God, I pray that everyone here will be a life changer in the community for you. In Christ's name we pray.